Welcome to the 7 Investing Podcast. I am Dan Klein, and I'm being joined today by Anurban Mahante. Anurban, how are you doing this morning? Very early Hi. morning for you. I'm fantastic, Dan. Uh, nice to chat to you in the morning. That, uh, have, you, uh, have you had your Vegemite? Have you, have you done all of the, <laughs> the, the very limited things Americans know about Australians? I, that I, I feel like we're probably going to get over this eventually, but it is really interesting to us that, you know, it, it's a different time of day. I don't know. We, we've been very fascinated by this, but thank you for getting up before you've even driven uh, your child to school today. Uh, but this started on our Slack channel. So I sort of posted that I was kind of underwhelmed by the Apple uh, press event from a couple of days ago. This is usually true of their spring event. The fall event is when they have their whiz bang stuff, but you liked some of it uh, more than I did. Why don't you give me the, the 10,000 square foot, a uh, 10,000 square foot, 10,000 foot overview. Uh, and then we will get into sort of going through each of the things they introduced and kind of what it means for Apple. Yeah, so, uh, you know, um, I sort of find it interesting. You found it uh, underwhelming. I actually thought it was probably one of their best events uh, that came out uh, in the recorded version, right? This, I think, is the third or the fourth recorded version. So it was really polished, really well done. They packed a lot of stuff in it. And, and sometimes what I find is exciting is not brand new things, but sort of the incremental innovation that, that comes with things. So, you know, so they basically introduced a new iMac uh, they introduced new iPads. They introduced a new thing called AirTags, which I'm going to talk about uh, in a bit. And that's really, and a few services things, right? So they talked a little bit about Apple TV, talked a little bit about, you know, what's going on with uh, uh, Apple Card, and they talked a little bit about podcast subscriptions. So I think it had an entire gamut of things. What really jumps out to me at a high level is sort of this, uh, the Apple's Plays ecosystem, Right, and it wants more and more people to use more and more things in the ecosystem, and 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 and, and it's a sort of feedback loop that strengthens the ecosystem, makes better apps, better experiences, which brings more people into the ecosystem. So that's Apple's play, and this was Apple's play at at I thought at you know uh, top notch Apple play um, in, in full view. Again, it will not be apparent immediately. I think it'll be exciting or, or sexy, as they would say. But I think you know over the long run, this is going to make a difference. So it's worth noting that we're both Apple people. Uh, we are both on MacBooks. Uh, when we first started taping this, you tried to do it on an iPad. I own an iPad. I don't use it very often. I find that the latest iPhone has really uh, become my replacement for my iPad. I'm very comfortable on a plane watching a movie on my phone. I don't really need to carry the extra device. I'm using Beats headphones. I've seen you wear AirPods, uh, or at least what appear to be AirPods. So we are both... Uh, you have Beats as well. I'm wearing an, an Apple Watch, as are you. So we are very much in the Apple uh, fan camp. But the big thing that they pushed about the new iMac uh, was that it's available in a bunch of colors. That, to me, uh, goes back to the 90s, the, the, the quote, portable ones that look like a 13-inch television. Uh, and I had one of those. I had a light blue one. That was my computer for a very long time. What color my computer is doesn't matter to me. What I was kind of excited about is this computer is so thin that the headphone jack can't be in the back because it would stick out the other side. So it had to be in the side. And I have to admit, as someone who bought a new iMac in October, I'm actually kind of annoyed about this, but it does seem mostly cosmetic. I, I, I like my iMac, but it is a physically big device, which can sometimes cause problems. Uh, so what were you most excited about with the IMAX? 
So uh, actually, I thought the IMAX were, again, uh, I'll take a different view. I thought the IMAX, are, they're doing something different here. The IMAX that they launched, I, I would call them, so remember, I think Apple has now this thing of everything has a pro and a non-pro version, right? So there's an iPhone pro, there's an iPad pro, and there's a iMac, but there's no iMac pro, right? So I think what they launched is the iMac for everyone. With the colors, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but one of the things I noticed is the way they were placing the iMac in their uh, shots in, in the presentation. The iMac was present at weird places, like the morning bench top. Uh, it's, it's present in the, you know, the, on top of the dresser in the bedroom. So what I think they're going for here, and this is very subtle, I think what they're trying to do is they're saying, well, this is the computer for the masses. We're gonna make it very colorful. It's gonna add color to your rooms. And we want the back of it to be showing. One of the things cool about Apple is Apple is a design company, which makes computers, right? So this is a home design item that they have designed, which has a beautiful screen. Uh, people can watch TVs on it, you know, programs on it, stream, do some work and things like that. So I think that's what they're going for with the coloring here. And, and with the design, you know, design aesthetics. Um, and, and of course they put the M1 chip into it, uh, which I think is just the starting point. Again, I think there's gonna be an iMac Pro, which is gonna be probably 27 inch or 30 inch. That's gonna target the pro heavy duty uh, users, right? But this is targeting all those people who have, you know, Windows desktops, who are waiting to transfer over to the Apple world, right? This was, this was for them. That was my take at least. And I get your point. I, you are annoyed with iMac, I would be too. I'm annoyed about my iPad. Yeah, I mean, you know, when I started here at Seven Investing, I, I bought, you know, like a not cheap, like a, you know, 15 or $1,600 uh, new iMac uh, as a supplement to my relatively new MacBook Pro. I think my MacBook Pro is a 2019 as well. Uh, and actually my workhorse computer is a 2016 MacBook because it's just so much lighter. It's more comfortable sitting on my lap. It's, it's easier to travel with. I actually kind of regret the MacBook Pro and sort of wish I'd bought a newer MacBook Air for, for that purpose. But okay, I, I understand that idea. I like the idea of the, the, the iMac as sort of a design aesthetic that it could in theory be like, you know, your dorm room television or, or whatever it might be. So I, I do understand that. And again, I'm not saying it isn't a fabulous computer and it isn't incrementally better. It's just that the overall group, and we're mostly going to talk about this when we get to AirTags, because you really like them. I'm really underwhelmed by them. But uh, before we get there, let's talk about the new iPad Pro. So here's my problem with the iPad. Um, I've had a bunch of iPads. Uh, I worked at Microsoft, so I got the original Microsoft Surface with the keyboard. And at no point... Have I ever, I tried to force myself to enjoy working on the Surface or working on an iPad with a keyboard. It's not a great experience. And, you know, when I first had a Surface, that was very novel. So like people would come up to you at Starbucks back when people were allowed to come up to you and you were allowed to sit in Starbucks, <laughs> uh, you know, and I would get, you know, people looking and really it's never been a great experience. And I found that with the keyboards, I have a hard time believing at the price that's not that different from a laptop that I really, I don't see a marketplace for an iPad Pro. Why don't, why don't you start there and explain it to me? Yeah, so I think the issue iPad in general is having, is exactly what you're saying. It's an iPad is like caught in this land where it's neither an iPhone nor a MacBook, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's in this no man's land. Part of the issue I think is, I think has been addressed with the, uh, with the iPad Pro is just stuff that people do on the Mac 
requires for many, many, uh, many of the users requires heavy duty processing. And the iPad is actually not adept at that, right? I think going to the M1 is, is a testament saying that, okay, we are going to put this new chip in, which is, you know, our best chip, best in class desktop chip into the iPad. That's bridging the gap between the two. I think there are a few other things that potentially will happen, right? So one of the things is, you know, what is really interesting is that the, if you think about the iMac design and think of the iPad design, and you, you actually look at the Apple's homepage, look at how the iPad, iMac actually looks like a giant iPad. It actually looks <laughs> from the side, it exactly looks identical. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think, the re, I think the way to think about it would be the iPad should become a MacBook when it's attached to a keyboard and it should become a handheld device when it's detached from the keyboard. But I think that transition is not happening because the apps are not there. And part of, I think, Apple's theory might be that the apps that people want to use for creative tasks, heavy duty tasks are actually Mac apps. They are sitting on the Intel world with the x86 architecture, moving the Mac to an architecture that's actually identical to the iPhone or, or the underlying computing architecture. When I say computing, I mean the, the CPU um, to underlying identical architecture essentially means porting of apps across the platforms easy. I think that's what they're trying to do. It's this is, I, I think this is something that Apple has been, has been building for 10 years. It took them 10 years to actually make the iMac chip or the Mac chip, right? But they have been building on it because they've been building the chips for the iPad and the, and the iPhones. This actually will allow them to transition the apps and this bridge this gap, right? So there are gonna be people who are gonna say, okay, for most purposes, my iPad Pro is fine and I don't need a, a, a Mac. For some people, the Mac is going to... So the question really in my mind right now is what boundaries are the Mac going to push and what boundaries are the iPad going to push if they're all going to be on the same chipset with the same underlying operating system design, you know, how are the lines going to blur? That's, I think, going to be a very interesting journey. Uh, I really have no clue of where this is going, but I think this is... We are going to see probably more in, when Apple does its uh, well, worldwide developers conference in like June or July, whenever it happens. Okay. I, I think, think they're going to struggle with the iPad, especially the Pro, to make it more than a very niche property. Like, sure, if you're an artist, there, there are definitely areas where it makes sense where keyboard functionality is an add-on that's great. Like, look, back when my Mac was a big heavy thing, or if I had a 16-inch MacBook, I could totally see for travel purposes getting an iPad and a keyboard and, and using it. That being said... I don't need anything more than a, a MacBook Air, which, you know, the prices are just not that different. And from a tablet, I don't carry a tablet anymore, but I used to carry a tablet for entertainment purposes when I traveled. And honestly, a $60 Kindle Fire uh, was more than enough. They're a little clunky. They lack uh, Apple's aesthetic. And I forget why I bought an iPad mini at some point. And when there's a storm here, I'll make sure I download some movies on it because we'll have, you know, stuff on all our devices. Uh, so because, you know, obviously you're limited to how many charging bricks you own and, and how much stuff you can keep charged in the event. We have hurricanes here uh, in West Palm Beach, but I don't know. I don't think an iPad is something I'll ever buy again. But of course, I recognize that I'm a sucker and there's every possibility I'll buy three of them in the next six months because I'll, I'll see one in a store and get enamored with it and I'll spend $1,200 I don't need to. But let's talk about well, okay. Oh, I, I, I was just going to say that you know I actually agree with you that I don't think iPads and uh, iPad the Pro line 
is not, I think, a volume seller, right? That's, I think it's going to be a very niche, as exactly as I said. But I mean, you know, it's, I think, the mix that matters to Apple probably that, you know, 20% sales go to pro, they make higher margins on that. That probably allows them to sell like, you know, more iPads at the lower margin and things like that. But yeah, I think it's a niche product for sure. Like the pro market is niche for sure, right? And then but there that, are use case issues. That pro audience is probably the most loyal to Apple in terms of, you know, the, yeah. the, if you're editing in Final Cut, you are not going to switch over and edit in Adobe Premiere. Like, so, yeah. you know, that is definitely an Apple loyalist. Though I still have yet to meet, and you might be the only one, you may actually use this. Do you use pages and like numbers? Like, do you use the, the, the Microsoft Office knockoffs that Apple gives you for free? Well, I use pages uh, regularly. Uh, I use numbers regularly and I use keynotes regularly. I don't use pages as much. I use actually numbers is beautiful. I really like numbers much better than Microsoft Excel. Uh, and I, 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 I find keynote is way better than uh, PowerPoint. But that's, that's what I do. Pages I don't use as, I use Google Docs more than pages just because it's just more efficient because of the type and, of work we do. And but, Google, yeah. Google Docs is God awful, terrible, but we all use it because it's free and it's easily available yeah. and it crosses platforms. Uh, many of us at 7investing are Mac users, but many of us are not. Uh, I, I've heard Chromebooks come up. I've seen PCs come up, uh, but let's talk about AirTags. So on your phone, you have Find My. This is basically a portable version of Find My. Uh, so here's what happened. Uh, I'm at Universal Studios. This was maybe two years ago. My son lost his phone in the Men in Black ride. This is a very uh, violent ride. It spins you around. His phone came out at some point. I brought my phone, which I make my son turn on his tracking so I can follow him. Uh, you know, as the parent, I would know where he is when he's getting home from school. It was mostly for bus stop purposes. Mm. Uh, but that being said, I could see where he was. So I walked to a Universal Studios employee and I showed them the Find My and they took my phone into the bowels of the ride and they found his phone. It was really, really kind of an amazing feat of engineering. Uh, so now this allows you to put one on, say, your Mac, put it on, I don't know, your umbrella. I lose like 100 umbrellas a year. Like it would probably be worth it to me. And I'm not saying the device isn't cool and that the Find My infrastructure isn't cool, but this has existed for a long time. Like we've had Tile here in the US and I've always thought about buying it and never have. I will probably buy this because it is dumb that I have a, whatever it costs, you know, $1,500 laptop. And if I leave it in an airport, I'm, I'm absolutely screwed. So it probably seems worth it to me to do it. But I don't know, it just wasn't that innovative to me. Uh, but you really like this one, so, so shoot. Yeah, so, so I love this. Um, so, I mean, you, you have sort of find my, uh, by default, built into like the Macs, right? I mean, the iPads, so you can location ping them as long as they have battery on it. The, one of the advantages of the, the AirTag product is that the battery actually lasts a year. So you have a full year to find your stuff, uh, which is pretty cool. Now, I think I really like this because this is, uh, this is what I call putting research to practice, right? So the Find My network exists because the, the Find My basically takes your location of your device, which is your iPhone, and basically puts it under the cloud in a privacy aware, you know, privacy secure fashion without stealing your data, without making use of your data. And then that allows you to do the tracking, right? Now, what Apple is really trying to say here is that we have got a billion plus devices out in the wild we can build this network that can track 
another billion plus devices which are not actually currently or billion plus things which are not correctly connected to the internet right so you basically are using a bluetooth connectivity using their you know the ultra wideband you know for precision tracking they're using the ultra wideband chip that they put on the uh, on the new iPhones, right? Otherwise you don't have that precision tracking, but you've got still got, you know, location tracking using all the other uh, items, but you're basically using Bluetooth to now build this network, right? And the, the cool thing is, suppose I have my keys and my keys are lost, right? And the keys are lost in some gymnasium. It's quite likely another iPhone user is gonna come there. My key is gonna, on the tag is gonna now ping that phone and then it's gonna use that phone to upload its location to the cloud. And then from there, I can actually discover it, right? That so the, the, that is really cool. And applications for this, hundreds of applications. Yeah, the luggage applications alone. I, I've never dealt with lost luggage, but, but if you have this and your luggage gets lost, you can in theory tell the airline where your luggage <laughs> is uh, and it helps them track it down. I, I've heard horror stories of like, People show up for like, you know, a four day long trade show. They're wearing their like sweatpants and a t-shirt and like all their suits and stuff are lost. And like, you know, you have to go to like the mall in Las Vegas and like overpay for everything. And of course there's no tailors and it's really a nightmare. Uh, so I do see a lot of applications. I actually think from a gonna sell a lot of them point of view, I actually think Apple's gonna sell a lot of them uh, because there are so many implications for it. I think this becomes a bit like the Amazon Echo in that at Christmas time, Amazon will be like six Echoes for a hundred bucks. Like, like <laughs> yeah. I think you're going to see some of those deals. Apple only does deals once a year. They do deals at Black Friday. I could see this being uh, an add-on, get one for free. Um, so it, it's not that I don't like the product. It's just that, I don't know. I, I thought there'd be something cooler to it. It would be smaller. Well, it would be. So here's the thing, right? Nobody else can do it but Apple, like, because nobody else has that kind of device scale, right? I mean, the thing is that you could have a third party do it, but if they don't have enough of, enough of users to ping, it's actually useless, right? So the, the fact that Apple has this concentrated user base, which guarantees that somebody's going to be in the gym that's going to come with an iPhone and therefore it's going to talk to it, makes it useful. You know what I think it's going to be? So Apple is exactly doing what you have predicted, right? They're bundling four. They know that people are going to at least buy four. So you can buy one for, I think, I don't know what it is, like 29 bucks, or you can buy four for like 100. <laughs> Basically, they're saying buy four, right? So it's going to sell it. But I think people are going to put this on their pets. That's a good idea, actually. I think your cat and your dog, now your cat and dog are part of your Apple ecosystem. I, I think this is a brilliant, you know, ecosystem play where you're extending the people, you know, you're never going to give an iPhone to your cat or dog, but you're going to give an AirTag to your cat or dog. So I think there that's is what zero, there is zero possibility either of my cats will put up with this. So uh, fortunately <laughs> they are indoor cats. So that is not, uh, not generally an issue. Uh, but we did at a pre, when we lived in Connecticut, one of our previous cats got out, our, our front door popped open and she left and it turns out she was just hiding under our neighbor's porch and I crawled under there and she was terrified and I, and I got her home. But something like that would absolutely have given me unbelievable peace of mind. Uh, but getting a cat who doesn't wear a collar to wear a collar can be a challenge. So it is gonna be a hit. I think, uh, look, I might tuck one in my wallet. Like, you know, I am prone to losing my wallet in my car and then not realizing that's what I've done. I get out of the car, I knock it out. It's just fallen in the car. Um, and then I go in the house and it's like an hour later, oh my God, where's my wallet? Uh, and maybe I go to the car to backtrack to where I just used it. And I realize, oh, it's sitting on the seat of my car. 
Uh, so this type of thing, I think peace of mind is very valuable and I trust Apple with this. And to give you a, a quick glimpse at how ubiquitous the iPhone is, I worked for Microsoft during the Windows 8 launch. There was a big push with Windows 8 to have the Windows 8 phone. Phones supported by Microsoft were the Windows 8 phone and the Apple iPhone. That, and when I say supported, I mean Microsoft tech. Like, so you could go to like the help bar in an office and they would make sure like your Microsoft email was correct on your iPhone. So, you know, they knew they could sort of thumb their nose at Android phones. They probably can't anymore, uh, but they were not willing to do that because they knew too many of their people would just get an iPhone separately uh, and then be less adept at, at answering their work email or back then it was called uh, Link. Uh, now it's of course, Microsoft Teams. Uh, so let's go to the, the last new device that they introduced because this is literally a device. I'm gonna read my notes exactly. It's a refreshed Apple TV 4K with a brand new remote. Uh, and my note was, you really have to be a fanboy to care about this. And here's why. The cheapest version of this is $179. You can get a Roku or an Amazon Fire for somewhere between 30 and $35, depending on the time of year. So you can buy five, maybe even six of those for the price of this. I don't care how cool it looks. I don't care if it has slightly better bells and whistles. And I, and I honestly have never been that impressed with the, the Apple you know, way of presenting TV. To me, you basically have like a relative who, work at, who work at Apple, works at Apple that's gonna like notice if you don't have this. Like, am I, am I missing something? I feel like Apple has lost this game and they keep playing it. Oh, I think, I think that's a very, very fair comment. I think, you know, I, it, I think the Apple TV is the vanity purchase. And I think the only other, you know, I guess, use case would be if you're like a complete Apple ecosystem house, like ours is, like we, you know, the only Amazon thing that we've got, well, we've got an Amazon subscription, uh, Prime subscription, that the only other Amazon thing we have is Amazon Echo as, uh, you know, Eero, sorry, Amazon Eero uh, for our Wi-Fi. But if you have an Apple TV, you can then connect your like home pods and you can actually get stereo sound out of, you know, left and right home pod and things like that. You can't do that if you have a Roku or an Fire TV and so on. But yeah, it's, I think this is a pure vanity purchase. If you, you know, you want to put that Apple TV in your, you know, living room to show people that, you know, you can afford an Apple TV. Um, I, I haven't set them up. <laughs> I haven't set them all up, but I have an Amazon Echo for every room in my house. Uh, uh, I, I just bought one that's also an alarm clock with a phone charger on the top. Uh, I have the Echo Show, which I've never used for absolutely anything, but I bought it on sale at, at Christmas time. I just think there's some areas where price matters and the HomePod, the, the Apple TV, like, you know, I, I, I tend, if I guess if I have a pick, I, I will get a Roku installed TV to save the HDMI port. Um, I'll be curious. I'll probably buy an Apple TV at some point for, for testing purposes. Uh, and then of course, we'll then have to make it my main, uh, the, the showpiece in my house. But of course I actually have an Xbox connected to my main TV and I actually use most of my apps through that. And for the moment, uh, because I didn't want to pay Comcast rental on a box, I actually use a TiVo as my cable box, which is a real pain to set up uh, with Comcast. Uh, but I actually get most of the apps on there. So, you know, there, you have a lot of choices and I'm not sure there's any reason to spend more money. Uh, but let's quickly go through one of the other things they announced. That is season two of Ted Lasso. Um, and here's the thing. I know this was a popular show. As someone whose American brother now works at a high-level position in the Premier League, I've had Ted Lasso thrown at me more than uh, you could possibly imagine. 
I am not a fan of this only because it means Apple is going to continue with the vanity project that is Apple TV. And I understand this is not a lot of money for Apple, but Apple should take its couple of mildly successful shows and license them to a competitor, bring them to, to, to Paramount Plus or to Netflix or to whoever. I see zero subscribers driven by Ted Lasso. Like I, I don't think the morning show got one person to subscribe to Apple TV. If you get it for free with a new device, you might use it. Uh, but these are very low viewership shows, even with tens of millions, hundreds of millions, actually, people getting free subscriptions for a year. Um, I don't know. I want them to, to uh, you know, to, to quote Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank, uh, which is a show you may not have access to. Uh, I want them to take Apple TV out back and shoot it. I am not a fan of this particular product. Yeah, so uh, I'm actually, I, you know, I, I've tried to watch Ted Lasso and I love people love it. Um, I've found many of the other Apple shows like, you know, um, more interesting than Ted Lasso, but you know, that's, I think a personal taste thing. Um, so here's my take on Apple TV. I think Apple TV or, or Apple TV plus Apple TV is the box and Apple TV plus is the subscription. Apple TV plus was never designed to be a standalone product. Apple TV plus is basically an add-on. So it's an add-on to Apple Music, to um, iCloud, to you know iCloud storage, to you know all those things, right? So it's basically a bundle. So and and then Fitness Plus. So basically, uh, if you think of like we have a Premier One subscription, right? Basically gives us everything. This is just an add-on to that, and I think there's justification to carry on to have that. Um, I think the Apple did miss a trick to not acquire Netflix when it could. But again, here's the thing, right? Uh, the TV is actually a very expensive business, right? It's an expensive business. It's very expensive in terms of getting the shows done. You could do curated shows. And if you have one or two hits per year, that justifies having that as an t- add-on. As you, as you rightly said, nobody's, I think, going to subscribe to this on their own. But it just adds a little bit of extra value to my Apple Music subscription and things like that. So, you know... I- yeah, that's what it is, really. It's a, it's a side project for Apple. I feel the same way about uh, Amazon Prime Video. And Amazon Prime Video has probably my favorite show of the past year. They, it has The Boys, uh, which is a wonderful show and something I'm very excited about. But if Amazon killed Amazon Prime Video tomorrow, I wouldn't change my Amazon subscription. And if Apple got rid of Apple TV+, Plus, I wouldn't drop my, I don't remember what level, I, I have everything except fitness. Um, you know, so... To me, Apple Music is something you have to have or Spotify or you have to have a subscription to a music service. I pay for Apple News, uh, which is probably not a great value only because it annoys me when I go to click on an article and for some reason I can't read it. So uh, I'm, I'm happy enough to support journalism that way. I understand what they're doing with the bundling, but it does feel to me like a lot like Amazon just like making things up to give you like, I'm not sure if photo storage is really like why I've signed up for Amazon Prime. And I understand that, that it's a rounding error but TV isn't. TV is really expensive. When you have a show that stars Jennifer Aniston and, and Steve Carell, those people cost a lot of money. Um, and I haven't seen a lot of good out of Apple TV+. Plus. But I think that that's true out of a lot of services. They're, you know, Disney is yeah. batting roughly 1,000, um, but that's in a very narrow band of, of a certain type of show. Uh, Netflix, maybe by their algorithm, they're hitting you know, 350, by my personal algorithm, they're like, I don't know, hitting like 80. Like, you know, it's, it's, they strike out an awful lot, though they do have some of the best uh, show names. I mean, how do you not turn it into at least one episode of The Floor is Lava? I think you have to at least 
uh, you know, stop by and take a look. But let's get into uh, some of the other things Apple is trying to accomplish. So this podcast doesn't end up uh, at being like 19 hours long. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're picking up on the fact uh, that Apple is building everything around privacy. Is this sort of anticipating consumer demand and trying to, to, I hate to say stick it to Facebook and Google, but that does kind of seem like it's a very conscious, we see these companies take advantage of your data. We are not going to do that. Yeah, so I think there is that, that theme. So uh, I'd say Apple is creating this privacy plus brand for itself, right? So I think different companies position themselves differently, right? Um, you know, for Apple, the, we are the consumers, right? We are the people who pay Apple and therefore it can afford to say that, well, we're not going to sell your data. For Google and Facebook, we are actually not the consumers. We are not the you know, customers. Right? The customers are the ads people or the businesses that are placing ads. So it's, you know, it's this relationship really that, you know, so, so we are the free users to Google and Facebook uh, that it monetizes via others. So I think Apple is just um, hitting on that and using that as, as, um, as a brand building exercise. I think this has... This gives them a license to do things that other companies can't, right? So, you know, you, you see that. So, I mean, we have seen that play in other areas, right? So if you take cloud computing as an, as an example, right? If you compete with the people you're providing infrastructure services to, they are hesitant to come and give you those services. Then they go to other people. So just because Amazon has competed with a bunch of other people, Amazon is a retail player. So therefore, if Walmart wants to have its infrastructure on cloud, it is hesitant to give it to Amazon. I think the same thing uh, is at play here in, in some ways, right? I mean, if you want to give your, your credit data to someone, you give it to Apple instead of giving it to somebody else. You'd be much more hesitant to give it to Google than to give it to Apple because you know that you know, Google might sell it. Google probably won't, but you feel that Google might sell it to some insurance company or somebody else that you know, could use it in some way that turns out to be malicious. Uh, again, I don't think Google would ever do that, but that, that's, that's just bias, right? And, and reference bias. And I think Apple is just using that to create a brand saying like, look, we don't do that. I, so I, I think, think there's some value to it. I think this is also Apple recognizing that it's going to be asking you for increasingly sensitive health data over the next decade. And mm. if you're gonna tell Apple your diseases and, and what horrible things you have and what minor things you have and what drugs you've ingested and not ingested, uh, I think you're gonna to want to 100% believe they protect your privacy. So I really do feel like this is like Apple establishing its bona fides uh, because they're already doing some amazing work by aggregating some health data. Apple can identify things like, ooh, like where Honorbod lives, there is a surprising number of this type of cancer or this type of, uh, you know, because they have some of your aggregate data, maybe not cancer, but, you know, fitness things or hypertension or, or other things uh, that they can tell with some of the data they get on an aggregate basis. And I could care less if Apple puts me into a cluster of men, you know, ages 45 to 54 who live in a warm climate or whatever, however they break down that data, but I don't necessarily want to start getting like ads in the mail uh, based on my health data. And we know the financial services industries have been dreadful with this. Um, you know, and, and so I, I like this. Uh, Apple values its customers. You actually feel a little bit special owning Apple products. And I think this just establishes that. Uh, let's talk, explain what the M1 chip is, and then talk hmm. a little bit about what it means for Apple going forward. 
Okay, so, so we're going to go, to go into some technicalities here, right? So, so basically, if you think about the Intel chip, uh, so the first thing you want to think about is the chips are basically uh, devices that take instructions, right? And the instructions are written in ones and zeros, uh, you know, so they don't understand our language. So the language that they speak is ones and zeros. And that the, the language, just like we speak English, the chips speak what is known as an instruction set and every type of architecture, just like Germany has a language and US has a language, which is the, you know, the American English versus the British English, there is different instruction sets for different types of architecture. So the Intel architecture is what's known as x86. Now, if you're developing something on the x86, that's gonna result in an executable that basically runs on x86 architecture. Now, Apple for a long time has been using its own architecture based on ARM, right? So ARM, you know, the ARM open source to design and, uh, or license design, I should say. And, and it's using that to build its processors for the iOS, which is the iPad OS and the iOS, so the iPhones and the iPads. That's an ARM and the Mac has been on, um, on Intel, the x86, which has meant that there's a disparity between the, the types of apps that you have on the Mac and the types of app that you have on, um, on, on, the, on the mobile devices and the, smart, and, 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 the, and the tablets, right? Now to bridge that gap, what you really want is the same architecture across all of them. That's what they're basically trying to do by basically saying, well, we're going to use the M1. They're calling it the M1 chip, but the M1 chip is basically an extension of the A series. In, in that. It's, the M1 is basically an A series extension with more GPUs, the graphics processing units and you know, um, signal processing and everything put together. There's a system on chip. You put all these other chips in one place, create efficiency, but you change the architecture to ARM. That makes actually porting applications across the platform really easy. If you, write a, if you write something for the Mac, you can actually port it to the iOS very easily. If you write something for the iOS, you can port it back this way. That is, I think, the bigger play. The bigger play is to integrate the experience across this to create a bigger ecosystem. There are some other benefits that are going to come just because of the design, right? Because they are now putting everything in one chip. So the system on chip, it allows for, you know, uh, better use of memory, right? So you're not you're not like writing things out from the CPU to some other place and then copying it from there to the GPU. You don't know, you're not swapping. So an 8 GB memory, random access memory or the RAM as we say for an Intel is not the same thing as an 8 GB on M1. Does this also give Apple significantly more control over the device experience? Because previously they could tell Intel, hey, here's what we're looking for but they weren't really in those rooms. And basically Apple can now tell its chip designers, hey, five years from now, we envision that your iPad is gonna snap into a robot and be able to walk up the stairs and, and we need it to process that type of functionality. Uh, it feels like there's some pretty big advantages to having that roadmap. And absolutely, so it's a simple example that you'd see is that you could have the, uh, you could have the same um, uh, camera on an iPad and a, uh, a Mac, but the Mac on Intel might look uh, with the same camera, same hardware will look inferior. And that's because just of the way the chips are working, right? The chips inside in the iPad are able to actually better process the data than the Mac. Um, and exactly that, you, you, if you are using third-party chips, you basically are relying on their roadmap, right? And then you rely on their roadmap to design your product roadmap. In this case, you bring beautiful hardware software integration, which allows you to actually imagine how the device is gonna look based on how you think 
the uh, the hardware is going to evolve. So I think this is very it's a very customized approach. And again, the very fact that Apple sells hundreds of millions of devices allows them to do it. This is very hard for other people to do because you just don't have the scale. Um, so again, Apple is basically saying, well, I've got a scale advantage and I'm going to really exploit my scale advantage. Um, and this is a perfect example of how Intel, basically the boss of chips is being disrupted by Apple. Apple effectively is the biggest chip maker now in the world. If you think about it, they don't make the chips. Somebody else you know, um, is making the chips for them but they're designed, the biggest chip designer in the world in that sense, right? And you know, then Apple could push in multiple different ways. If Apple wanted, it could actually push into NVIDIA's territory and say, well, we're gonna design GPUs that are going to go into data centers if it wanted to. The question really is, does it want, right? We don't know. So I'm gonna close with an investing question. I'm gonna answer it first, at least my opinion on it. There's no definitive mm -hmm. answer here. Uh, but Apple is, I think, still the largest company, uh, publicly traded company, over a trillion dollars. The question is, in the next decade, do you believe they can get to $2 trillion? And I am going to say the challenge for Apple is they can put out something like the Apple Watch, which if this was a startup company, would be a massively successful company. We'd be talking about Blapple Watch or whatever you call it. Uh, if it wasn't an Apple product, we'd be talking about it like Roku. We'd be talking about it uh, like we did Fitbit for years or GoPro. And obviously those companies have stumbled and Fitbit is now part of Google, uh, but it would certainly be an oh my God success story. And inside Apple, it's basically like they found some change in the couch. Uh, but if you view the Apple Watch as part of a much bigger healthcare roadmap, I think they get to $2 trillion. I think there is every possibility that Apple, and I think Amazon and Google have a chance at this as well. I think Apple might be an integral part of your healthcare picture going forward. And that will partially be through monitoring. It will partially be through some sort of telemedicine. It wouldn't shock me if they made an acquisition. One of those like Apple acquisitions that you only read about on GeekWire, where it's like they bought some company for $30 million, <laughs> get rid of its product, but absorb its 32 employees. Uh, I think that is where Apple is going. And I, I would bet and I guess we can reconvene in, in 10 years if you don't agree with me on this. Uh, but I actually think Apple will double in size. It just might not be by, it's in fact not going to be by coming up with some amazing new device that we haven't thought of. So I don't, actually, uh, I disagree with you on the quantum maybe. Uh, I think Apple could be a $3 trillion company uh, <laughs> in 10, 10 years. Here's, here's, I think, what I think is instructive, right? The instructive thing is if you look at last 10 years, and I have a tweet out about this, over the last 10 years, Apple generated over $600 billion of free cash flow, 600 billion, okay? The closest Google is about 200 billion. That's a, if you think about their market caps and they're very similar, Apple was hugely undervalued. If you assume that Google is correctly valued today and Apple is correctly valued today, then, then there was a huge undervaluation going on given the amount of free cash flow. Amazon in that frame has generated only $95 billion of free cash flow. Here's what free cash flow does for you. Apple has decreased its share count by 32% in a decade. So I think Apple actually probably doesn't even have to be three, you know, three X from here, Apple uh, or one and a half X from here. Uh, Apple could, um, could still deliver astounding returns for you just because it's buying back shares like crazy. And it can do that because every little thing that it brings to the system just adds extra cash in the pile. So as long as it can generate cash, I think Apple is going to be a fantastic investment. That's, that's how I look at it. Um, instead of thinking about which is going to be about being the bigger company. But yeah, I think three trillion is not out of the way. Uh, largely because again, you know, the trillion plays in our mind. It seems like, oh, it's too big. But 
you know, the market keeps going up, right? The market has been going up for, for the last 100 years, right? What was the average company 10 years ago was like a seven, you know, 30 years ago was like a $7 billion company. Today it's like a $70 billion, that's a 10X. Um, so the average company size is going up. Um, and as we print more money, the average company size has to go up, right? What else happens? And Apple does have the ability to make acquisitions that other companies can't even imagine. Like, so if Apple was to buy Teladoc, it wouldn't be that big a deal. I don't, I don't have Teladoc's market cap in front of me, but they could do it. Most companies would have to do that as a merger. Um, Apple could buy, and I really thought this might happen. Uh, Apple could buy Nintendo. <laughs> uh, and the reason I thought that might happen is when, is when the Wii U failed, Nintendo was sitting on all this amazing intellectual property and really had no device for it. So imagine if Apple exclusively owned Super Mario and Donkey Kong and all. That's something Apple doesn't really have a lot of is, is intellectual property. So I'm not saying these things are going to happen. In fact, I'm famously wrong uh, predicting things like that. I've long predicted that Amazon would buy things that it hasn't bought. Um, but that being said, Apple's ability to stumble and then just cover it up with money by buying something else that's successful is unparalleled. And we're seeing this with Microsoft. Microsoft has gone on you know, a $10, $12 billion each acquisition uh, streak. And it looks like they're not going to buy Discord, but they've bought lots of different things. And they bought Nuance for $18 billion uh, a few weeks back. So we are going to see more of this. Honor uh, Bunt, we have talked for far too long. Thank you for joining me on the 7 Investing Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.